I've been reminded lately that talk is cheap and that love isn't a, a noun, love is a verb, right? Love is something that you do. And I was thinking about this as we were singing that last song. It's, it's a gorgeous, it's, you know, some things are just classic, you know? You remember a few years ago when they tried to change Coke? And the new Coke came out and it just bombed? That, and then all of a sudden they got smart saying, what have we done? So they went back to the old one and called it Coke Classic, right? And I, I have no idea how much money Coca-Cola lost in that adventure. I really don't care. But there are some things that are just classic. And that song, I know it's old and creaky, and some of the words I have to think about to translate them into uh, 2014 language, but it is classic, you know, when we sing, My Jesus, I Love Thee. But I'm wondering today, and you have to understand, the hardest thing about preaching is not getting up in front of people and talking. Um, I'm sorry? Yeah. It, it, it's, it's, that's challenging, and trying to be relatively coherent and trying to keep everyone's attention. But the hardest thing about preaching is that God sort of wants to scrape all the junk out of Rick Hill so he can be an adequate um, pipeline or vessel or tool or whatever in explaining, bringing God's word. And that's horrible. It's horrible for me. It's, hopefully it's not horrible for you. But I hate it because I have to confess to you, a lot of me doesn't want to change. A lot of me doesn't really want to follow Jesus. I love singing that song. It's beautiful. But I was sitting there in, at the back thinking, oh, man, I, I, I can love Jesus with my words, but am I doing it with how I live? And um, I fall short of that, and I confess that. Now you're thinking, okay, what deep, dark secret is he hiding in? Oh, there's no real deep, dark secret. It's just, I fall short. I want to follow Jesus. But there are little brains. I love the story of Caleb in the Old Testament in the Bible because when he was 85 years old, he was described as following God wholeheartedly. Everything he had, every, every fiber of his being wanted to follow God. And he was willing at the age of 85 to take huge risks for God. I thought, man, that's how I want to end up. That's how I, I want to be a radical 85-year-old, you know? I have a pair of in-laws like that. I'm really blessed with people like that in my life. But um, what I'm wondering, what holds us back from following Jesus wholeheartedly? Keep in mind that last song, My Jesus, I Love Thee, gorgeous hymn, well played, by the way, friends, well done. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you'll follow my lead, right? Okay, so, now, there's no, there's no shame here. Right? This is a guilt-free church. I mean, in, in the sense that we're not, I'm not here to make you feel bad about yourselves or feel ashamed or anything like that. But I'm wondering if we could just brainstorm a little bit. What are the kinds of things that holds that may hold us back or other people back from following Jesus 
wholeheartedly. You shut them out, and I'm going to try to write them down as best I can. I'm sorry? Temptations and idols. Wow, yes. Fear, yeah. Guilt, yeah. Uh-huh. I'll get back to you on that one. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Absolutely. Yeah. What else? Peer pressure. And sorry, just to note, do you know what? Peer pressure isn't just for people in high school, is it? <laughs> Amen, Daphne. I. It's been a while since high school, but I know you understand that. That's good. I. I'm and. We're looking forward to a... You're looking forward to a good week this week, aren't you? Amen. Okay. Sorry, someone over here was saying... Jobs. Yeah? Oh, I wish you wouldn't have said that. Because now you've made me uncomfortable. But that's a good point. Okay. Okay. Expectations? Yeah? Of other people or ourselves or yeah I think a lot of that is the responsibility of the church because we want people we're good at making converts but Jesus didn't say make converts he said make disciples and we don't do that really well you know we get people to sign on a dotted line or ask Jesus into their heart and that not a bad thing, except it's not really in the Bible. But what the Bible says is, follow me, right? Do what I do. And that's really hard. Okay, there's another one over here. Oh, man. You guys are messing with my head today. I was hoping for just a nice, quiet Sunday where I wouldn't have to look in here too much. Fear and worry. Lifestyle. You know, I wish people would just mind their own business and let me do what I want. My past. Yeah. Yes, at the back. Financial. Can you expand on that? I hear what you're saying. My wife gave me the idea, so. Yeah. Yeah. Turn, right? And Jesus talks a lot about money. I think he talked about money more than heaven or hell, actually, dear to our hearts. And whether we become a missionary overseas and raise support or not, just being in Canada, how do we handle our money responsible? How do we control our money rather than our money or our wants controlling us? I'm sorry? Pride. Pride. I was waiting for that one to pop up, but uh, I wish you hadn't said that either. But yeah, pride. Okay. Yes, Kent. 
Yeah, fear of losing everything and, and losing control. Yeah, very good. Yes, at the back. Fear of... Oh, fear of not pleasing God. Is that correct? Okay. We don't want to let God down. You know? We don't. And uh, that's, that's a good thing. But sometimes if that stops us from taking a risk or stepping out in faith, um, that's not helpful. Yeah. Yes. Lack of faith. Did I tell you one of my favorite prayers in the Bible recently? Lord, I believe, help me in my unbelief. I, excellent prayer. Yeah. Anything else? You guys are very talkative today. It's brilliant. Our brokenness. Yeah. Or we, we feel too brokenness to too broken to be fixed but you're correct yeah we can our just our past can really drag us down and make us feel unworthy or like a you know kind of MPI has set a record I believe in December for writing off vehicles you know and we can look at our life and think oh I'm a write off there's nothing you know if I could just get a a do over you know what a mulligan is when you golf and you miss a shot or just nobody even hit the ball or whatever, say, oh, I think I'll take a mulligan on that, you know. Uh, we would like a mulligan in life, um, but they don't always come our way. Sometimes God will give us a mulligan, but I, actually God always forgives when we come to him in sincerity and repentance. He promises to always forgive. So in that sense, we get a mulligan, but we have to live with the consequences of our sin, right? And that's tough. There's, um, I have to apologize to Garth. I hope he's not here. But I put a couple of nails in here on, uh, just before Christmas to help hold the Advent banner. And I, I just pulled a nail out, so now you can't see it, but it's left a hole there. So sorry. I'm, I'm more into evangelism than vandalism, but I did make... A hole there. So God will forgive our sin, but there's a hole there. There's there's consequences. And yes, He can redeem things and make things better, but there, you know, there's stuff there. Okay, you've been very helpful. Is is there anything else that you can think of that would possibly Yes? Depression. Depression. Yeah, that's good, Noam. Thank you. I'm so glad you mentioned that. Because the problem with when people living with depression is we can cycle so deep down within ourselves into a pit we feel like we'll never get out. And if you read some of the Psalms, I wonder if David lived with depression at times. I mean, you know, Lord, I'm in the pit. Get me out of this. Or, Lord, you lifted me out of the pit. So, therefore, he must have been in the pit at some time, right? Okay. Yes. Yeah. Perceived lack of time. Right. We think, and that's where the busyness comes in, right? We think we're too busy. We're actually not. Everybody has the same amount of time in the day. It's just 
how we use it, right? Also, this may be helpful. Here's a little aside that I hadn't planned on. How much of life, if you follow Jesus with everything we've got, how much of life belongs to God? What? Well, it's a little bit demanding, 100%, but it's true. If we can sing with whole hearts, if we can sing, my Jesus, I love thee, he gets 100%. So that means that anything we do, if we do it in a, with the motive of bringing glory to him, bringing credit to him, that means we're serving him, right? So does that mean if I'm changing my baby's diaper, is that glorifying God? Especially if you give your seat to somebody else. Or, or just, just going to work, period. Or recre- if we do it with the right attitude, if we do it as if we were doing it for Jesus, attitude at work. If you have a job or if you're in a place, um, whatever your calling is, however you're living out your, your life, if you're in a space where you really don't want to be, let me encourage you to try this experiment. Try it for a week. And let me know next Sunday how it went for you. Saying, okay, Jesus, I'm on my way to work or school or, you know, I'm here with people that I have to care for. I'm, I've got responsibilities. Today, I'm going to try to live it for you. And it's got to be a moment-by-moment moment thing, okay? Today, I'm going to live it for you. And just see how that, ask God to change your attitude. If you enter into things, I had the worst summer job ever uh, when I was in, just out of university. And it was in a recession, and I was lucky to get a job, but I was making less than half the money that I made the previous summer. It was brutal. But God taught me that summer, as I put literally put rocks in a box, that was my job, working in a stone quarry with guys who didn't want to be there in their dead-end jobs. It was just brutal. In fact, every time... Are you familiar with the Flintstones? We called our owner Mr. Slate. <laughs> Not to his face. And as we... On Friday afternoon, as we pulled out of the parking lot, we go, yabba dabba do, you know, around here. But God taught me, or started to teach me, that you can actually put rocks in a box to the glory of God. You can... What's holding us back? There are a lot of paradoxes in the Bible, Right? You think something is some way, but it's the complete opposite. I'll give you some examples. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, that's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now what Paul does not mean, he does not mean he's got a kick-me sign on his back walking through life. It's saying, please heap your abuse on me. I am a bad person and I need to, you know, I don't deserve any better. He's not saying that. He had very healthy boundaries. And, but what he's saying is, I realize that I fall short. I've got weaknesses and I've got all kinds of challenges in my life. Yet, when I am weak, then I am strong. So that's a paradox, right? When I'm weak, when I feel at the end of myself, when I feel like I just can't do it anymore, that I'm out of resources, I don't have a hope, then I'm strong. Because then I become desperate enough to say, okay, Jesus, you've got to come in, right? Take the wheel. 
The next verse, please. If you try to, here's another paradox. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Another paradox. We talked about that last week, right? Why do we hang on so much? These are all fairly valid reasons that we have for holding back. Not valid, but I mean, they're, they're true. They're legitimate and things that we struggle with. But the bottom line is, if you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Okay, next. There's another paradox. And he, Jesus, said to them, Anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf welcomes me. And anyone who welcomes me also welcomes my Father who sent me. Whoever is the least among you is the greatest. Now this is fascinating. And we could use a little bit more of this in the church these days. Because we have these mega celebrity pastors and people that we put up on a pedestal and we want to give them... And it's right to give them honor and respect and all those things, but we tend to make celebrities out of people who don't necessarily want to be celebrities. But the Bible, Jesus' way of looking at life is so upside down. Whoever is the least among you is the greatest. So you start looking around for the most inconspicuous person or underrated person in life, and you go, oh, wow, that's how God rates things. It's fascinating to run into people who are so full of themselves they don't have time for anybody else. And some folks are so much into self-promotion. It's like they have a billboard on their chest saying, look at me, look at me. But Jesus says, you know, you're going to get, that's about all you're going to get out of life, you know. I hope you brought some extra batteries for your sign because... You know, it's going to run out sooner and later. If you want to be the great in God's kingdom, you've got to be a servant. You've got to look after other people's needs and minister to them. Not out of a sense of inferiority, but out of a sense of gratitude from God from what he, for what he's done to us. And that turns into concrete action. So whoever's the least among you is the greatest. Next one, please. We're getting, it's getting worse as we go on through this list of paradoxes. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. I remember the first time I I stumbled across this verse, I had to talk to my father-in-law about this. Um, Bob Crawford has got a master's degree in field husbandry, which means... I was going to say he's outstanding in his field. That's a bad pun. Sorry, sorry. I sensible. So anytime I have biology questions, I ask him. But it's true that a seed literally, uh, trying to illustrate this, make people understand, unless we die to our own agenda, unless we kill off what we want to do, unless we give up control to him, Uh, we're really not going to live. We're not going to live life the way he intended it to be. But when we die, or when we voluntarily say, okay, Jesus, you're in charge, that death produces a whole harvest of new lives. Because people see God working on us, and they say, I got to get me some of that. Like, what's going on with you? And, And 
there's a, there's a beautiful harvest that, that comes out of that. Okay. The most difficult lie I've ever contended with is this. Life is a story about me. Donald Miller is a contemporary author. He's written a book called Blue Like Jazz and a number of other books. But when I found this quote, I thought, wow, that sums up Rick Hill's core problem. The most difficult lie that Rick Hill has ever contended with is this. Life is a story about me. And it's, I'm sorry? Yeah. So, um, we are so self-focused and self-centered and sometimes self-deceptive, self, 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 comes in and we follow the lie. We live the lie, don't we? And we get sucked in by it. Now, my goal here is not to make everyone feel bad about where they're at. I just want to put stuff on the table and be honest and saying, what is holding us back from following Jesus? What is holding us back? And to give us the opportunity this morning to pray as we wrap things up and saying, okay, God, I want to give you this issue or several issues. Or maybe, like me, you've got multiple issues. That's okay. God can accept a list of junk. Okay? But to hand it over to him and say, Lord, change me from the inside. Because we need to learn that life is not about us. Next one, please. Here's a quote from C.S. Lewis. The only things we can keep are the things we freely give to God. What we try to keep for ourselves is just what we're sure to lose. If we voluntarily give up control to God and saying, okay, Lord, here's a blank check with my life. In the long run, maybe not right away, but in the long run, you will be far better off. Not necessarily with your bank balance or what kind of car you drive, or even if you have a car, or whatever, but you will be, you'll find that sense of satisfaction and purpose in life you've been looking for all the time. Are you familiar with those visa commercials where someone goes to a sports event or a holiday and they spend so much on a hockey jersey and so much on tickets and so much on beer and pretzels? And then it says, you know, spending time with each other, spending time with family, priceless, Okay. What Visa is trying to get you to do is to spend more money with your Visa card so you can have priceless experiences, okay? Jesus is offering us a priceless experience where we don't need a Visa card necessarily. But he is inviting us to follow him. And that will cost something. I'm not going to preach cheap grace. I'm not going to preach the kind of thing that says, you know, sign on the dotted line, pray this little prayer, and everything will be great. That's a lie. It costs us everything to follow Jesus. But we get so much more back. So much more. I'm going to close with a story about Felix Mendelssohn. This is Felix here. He lived in the early 1800s, I think. 1809 to 1848, something like that. I googled him. I just want to be sure. Um, One day, and he wrote some beautiful music. And one day... The story goes that Mendelssohn was walking through a small village and he came upon and well, you know, would you I'm not gonna hurt anything. Would you mind if I just tried you know, let me try it out. No, no, sorry. Finally he asked a third time, May I please 
play your organ. And finally, the organist says, ah, okay, whatever, but he watched him like a hawk, right? Well, Mendelssohn started playing the music that the organist had originally intended to play. And the whole room was filled with glorious music. He literally pulled out all the stops, if you know what I mean, Ken. He just, it was just amazing. And the organist was stunned, and he said, Who are you? And Mendelssohn said, I'm Felix Mendelssohn. And the organist was just mortified, absolutely embarrassed and humiliated. Why didn't I let you play in the first place? So, we can maintain control of our little things that hold us back from Jesus and muddle along through life and the music probably won't sound great. Or we can say, okay, Jesus, come and play. (laughs) Come and do your thing in my life. You be in charge. And that's that's it. It's just as simply and as straightforward as uh, I can put it to all of us today, including the preacher. That's what we need to do. Well, let's pray. And then the worship team is going to come and lead us in the closing song. And as, you're, as we pray together, just ask God to say, ask God to surface things and say, Whoop, what about this? What about that? Well, you need to give over to me, okay? And then after we sing our song, I'll come up and, and lead us in a prayer of just saying, okay, let's give this stuff over to God, all right? Let's pray. Holy Spirit, there are things that are holding each of us back from following you. This is quite a list that we accumulated today. Temptation, pride, fear, fear of letting you down, guilt, Busyness, loss of relationships, money issues, peer pressure, brokenness, job issues, being comfortable, expectations of ourselves and other people, lack of understanding what it means, lack of faith, pride, stinking pride, control issues, depression, fear and worry, lifestyle choices, our past, our brokenness. We confess to you that we're broken people. But you came to transform us, not just to put a band-aid on us, but to transform us and make us new from the inside out. So I pray that as we sing this song, Father, that you will bring to mind what we need to renounce and repent and how to move on. We commit these things to you in Jesus' name. Amen.